America, everybody is in too big of a rush. Lay back, take a sip of tea, mow a little grass, yo, and then if you get tired, take you a nap. Work hard, nap hard. Play hard. That's what I always say, Jack. Work hard, nap hard. Work hard, nap hard. Work hard, nap hard. Play, play, play hard. That's what I always say, Jack. All night. Take a sip of tea. Roll a little grass. When you get a break, you got to go to sleep fast. All night. Take a sip of tea. Roll a little grass. So when you get a break, you got to go to sleep fast. Find them on the grill. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I don't know if you're aware of Duck Dynasty, uh, but a lot of people are. Uh, I don't know if you're one of the 12 million people. 12 million people who watched the season premiere of Duck Dynasty about a month ago, uh, mid-August. But even if you didn't watch it, even if you're not an avid fan, I know that you're aware that this thing exists, right? Because it has become this cultural phenomenon, right? Uh, I've spent the last six years in youth ministry, and over that time, over and over again, the past couple years, I've had students just telling me and singing the praises of this show called Duck Dynasty. And they'd be talking about these guys, and I'd ask them, like, well, what is it about? And they're like, well, they're from Louisiana, and they made a duck call, and the beards. And I'd be like, okay, well, <laughs> awesome, right? And so I was a little skeptical, right? I wasn't really sure, like, this doesn't sound that great. It's like Honey Boo Boo with a beard and a fascination with ducks. Like, I was like, why do I want to watch that? Like, what... There's nothing drawing me in. And so because of that, I actually had never seen a clip, an episode, nothing of this show uh, until I was prepping this talk right now. And let me just tell you, over this past week, over the past few days of looking at clips, watching them interact with one another, I love them (laughs) so much. And it was so strange because I began to develop this love and I was just drawn to these you know, I don't hillbilly people, you know, like beards and camo and ducks. And I was like, this, there's something about this, right? And I, and I went, asked myself, like, why, why am I drawn to this? Like, what, what are they, why are they creating this love within me? And so I looked inward and I thought, what, what is it? And I realized it was because these men, this family, they created something new, right? They created something fresh. They created something different from what I would expect them to normally do. And it was something not only new and fresh, that it was in and of itself good, but then they cultivated that. They made it better. And as they made it better, people were drawn to it. And there was a community. And eventually a channel was like, hey, we want to film you guys. And other people were like, hey, we want to make, you know, video dubs, well, not dubstep, auto-tune videos of you guys doing stuff, right? And we suddenly, we see this community form around these beard guys, And they're creating and they're cultivating and it's growing more and more and more to the point where 12 million people watch it, like broke all these different records because so many people have gathered around this. And the truth is that we live in a world where that community, that creation and cultivation, the community that's developed around this family that makes duck calls can be stronger and more appealing than the community that's formed around knowing Jesus Christ. That's the world we live in right now. 
Where people look at that, and they're like, I want to be a part of that. And then they look at the church, and they're like, no thanks. Why? Why? Many of us, maybe all of us, have had an experience where we've been burned by a church or by a Christian. We've all had that experience where we had a bad, bad experience with a Christian. Why? pastor out in Georgia, a guy named Andy Stanley, who's awesome. He gave this talk where he was talking about Christianity and kind of what we're all about. And he said that people generally have this one expectation of Christians. He summed it up great when he said that people expect Christians to be, quoting, judgmental, homophobic moralists who secretly relish the fact that everyone else is going to hell. And maybe you think about a family member or a friend, distant relative, classmate, lab partner who thinks this way, who just expects Christians to be judgmental, homophobic moralists who secretly relish the fact that everyone else is going to hell. Why? Why do people have that expectation of Christians? It's because we're not making something new. It's because we're not creating something fresh and different from that expectation This whole semester, we're talking about culture. We're talking about what it is and kind of why does it matter. We're talking about all these different issues like technology and social media. We're talking about marriage and work and money and sex. And we're talking about all of these different issues, and we're going to be hitting them over the course of the semester. And so far, we've just been laying a foundation, right? We're kind of giving ourselves a bedrock to build upon. And we've been talking in our foundational issues. We've been talking about, okay, well, how do we react to culture? How do we react using God's grace, using God's word, and using God's people? Right? Remember, that's what Grace Bible Church is all about. It's what we're named for, for grace, for Bible, and for church. That's what we, were, we want. So we talked about how do we harness those things? How do we react to our culture with those items? And not only that, but then how do we trust the Bible, right? Last week we looked at how do we really know what God wrote down is in fact true, How do we trust it? And what we want to do today and a week from now, it's almost a two-parter. We're going to look at, well, knowing this foundation, as we're going to finish this foundation, we have these different pieces, but we need a goal. We need a mission. We need a spot on the horizon that we're aiming for. Let me just tell you, it is to create and to cultivate. Like a garden. Like the garden. We are called to create and cultivate. In order for us to realize this goal, in order to equip us to accomplish this goal, we've got to ask ourselves three big questions. We have to think about, okay, why? Why do we create? And then what do we create? And then next week, we're going to really look at how. How do we create? But this morning, as we're thinking about why do we create, it's important for us to realize that if we trust God's word, we know that we are in fact made in God's image. What Christina just read in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 clearly states that we are made in the image of God. And what that means is that we look like him and we act like him. That's what it means to be in the image of someone else. I have a three-year-old niece. Her name is Catherine. Here she is giving an excellent fake smile. The camera. I know. She looks so sweet, but she's showing her diaper, which is pretty rude, and that's kind of weird. But she's 
fake smiling, right? Catherine, three years old. She's awesome. And she looks a lot like her mom. She, my, her mom is my little sister. She is, just looks exactly like her, just right down to the hair bow and the diaper. Like, that's just all, like, it's all, it's all come together, right? But not only does she look like my little sister, she actually acts a lot like her, right? I grew up with my little sister. That's normally how it works. And so through our lives, I got to see the way that Hannah would act and behave in certain situations. And it's crazy to see Catherine doing the exact same things. In fact, her mom sent me a picture a few days ago, and she said, hey, here's Catherine's uh, little area in the car, look at her snack cup. And so I looked at the picture and I thought, okay, it looks kind of normal. Oh wait, there's the snack cup. It's filled with heads, right? In case you can't tell, those are decapitated Barbie and Ken heads collected in some sort of serial killer bowl thing, right? And in case you also didn't notice, those are the remaining bodies, just like thrown out like trash, right? Stacked like firewood next to their collected heads. And what's crazy about this is that this is exactly what Hannah did. This is what her mom did. In fact, her mom and I have this long story about how one day she bit the head off of one of my prized Darth Vader action figures, right? It was a huge dramatic moment for my childhood, just shaped the rest of my life. But I suddenly see, wow, not only were you a strange head ripper offer, but you're passing it on, right? Like somehow this is going to continue in the world. I don't know how I feel about that, right? Like that makes me a little bit sad. But when we look at someone who is in the image of someone else, you not only see that they look like the person, they act like them as well. We look like God, meaning that we have a lot of the same attributes as him. We have a capacity for love. We have a capacity for righteousness, for gentleness, for humility. We have a capacity for patience and anger. One of the biggest attributes that we share with him is, in fact, our free will, our ability to make meaningful decisions. We share these attributes. We look like him, but we also act like him. We want to bring justice to the world. We want to comfort people. There's an awesome theological argument built around the fact that we have a sense of humor, but that in fact is a sign that God is our creator, that we are in the image of him, our humor. Another one of those attributes that we're focusing on this morning is the fact that we are creators. We create and we cultivate because God did it First, because we're in his image. When we look through the book of Genesis, as they are across the street this whole semester, we see right off the bat, Genesis 1-1, God creating. God is constantly moving. And he's not only creating, but he's also cultivating existence. Meaning he's always moving in kind of this one-two combo. Over the course of Genesis, over the course of the creation narrative, we see God creating and then cultivating. We see him creating material and then giving it meaning. When I say that, I mean, you see originally the heaven and the earth, right? In the beginning, there was this heaven and there was this earth. And it tells us that it was formless and void, But then God moved over it. His spirit hovered over it. Suddenly we see God go to this formless void, this material, and he gave it meaning. We see him create light, right? Let there be light. Boom, there's light. But he doesn't just let it exist. Instead, he moves in and he separates the light 
from the darkness. He brings order and structure to this creation. He brings meaning to the material. We see him create water, right? He says, let there be an expanse, right? All this water, boom. But then he moves in. He says, well, but let's separate it. We're going to have water down here, oceans. We're going to have water up here, sky, atmosphere. We see him constantly making material and then meaning, creating and then cultivating. We see him create land from the water, right? He says, let there be water, but let's go ahead and move it all over here. Let's have dry land come forth in these certain areas. Let's go ahead and have the sun. Let's have this light and let's, let's make it even more distinct. Let's go ahead and separate day from night, the sun from the stars. Let's go ahead and give everything a structure. Let's put meaning into this creation. That's what God did. And that's what we do, ideally, right? A lot of us, maybe we've seen the fact that we don't always really bring meaning. We don't always really align with that structure, that structure that's designed to let the creation continue creating. We just, we don't always line up with it. Uh, If you've ever been in a group project in a class, and you probably will this year, just as a warning, if you're a freshman, they are always terrible, always. Group projects are always terrible, 100%. I can say that I would live and die by that statement because they are always terrible. Because in every single group project, every single one, there is always that one person, right? There's that one deadweight doofus, as I like to call them. That one guy or that one girl who goes into the group and refuses to line up with the structure, right? They refuse to show up to the meeting where everyone said, we're going to meet at the library at three o'clock. So I'll be there, and deadweight doofus doesn't show up. And you text, and you call, and you're like, what's going on? And then like four hours later, he's like, oh, what? I thought that was tomorrow. Oh, well, guess I can't help. Right? And you're like, Ugh! Right? You tell everyone, okay, let's all email our material together. Let's put it all in this like Dropbox folder. Let's, let's just compile it in this one area. And deadweight doofus won't do it. Right? He's like, come on. Like, it's super easy. He's like, oh, I didn't have email for three weeks, right? And you're like, that doesn't make sense. Like, that's not a real excuse. And we have this one person who refuses to abide by this structure, right? And when that happens, man, there's no more creation. Ideally, God created the structure and creation so that his creation could continue to create. That's why he gave us these walls, these boundaries, this, this area to work within. But oftentimes we see that break down. Why? Why has that happened? Because ideally, God set it up where we would just continue, right? He told when he created fish and birds and animals. We look at Genesis 1, verse uh, 20. And he starts talking about these fish and these animals. And he said, okay, you know what? Come on up and multiply, right? Go forth. Let there be more and more and more of you. Continue creating. Continue cultivating. He tells man, And what we read, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He told mankind, he told Adam and Eve, he said, go, 
I've created you that you might continue creating. Go create, cultivate. I'm gonna put you in this perfect garden with all this material, with all of this meaning. Go create, cultivate, be fruitful, multiply. Adam said, yes, I will accept that job description. You heard him, right? Like that's, that's how that went down. Because the, God said, be fruitful, create, use this structure, use this area, use this garden that I've given you. And when we look at that, we have to ask ourselves, well, why though? Why is God doing this? Right? We see, we see what he does, but why? Why is he creating in this way? And the Bible kind of strings you along. I love it. Over the course of Scripture, there's never really a super clear answer onto why did God do all of this? We know that he did it, but why? Right? If we're asking ourselves, why should we create? We've got to ask ourselves, why did God create? And John spills the beans in Revelation. Very end of the Bible. We've seen Revelation 5, this awesome quote, where he says, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them. Right, right here, he's, using, he's intentionally using creation language. He's intentionally using this language that would take his audience back to the very beginning of Scripture, back to the very first chapter of Genesis. And he's telling them, this is what they're saying. This is why they exist. To say to him, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. John is clear. He tells us, though all of this creation, God did all of this. He created a creation. He created this cultivation. He created this structure. Also that he might be glorified. Also that as this creation continues to create, God would be more and more glorified and lifted up and people would be singing his praises and pointing to him as the utmost highest. That's why God created. That's why he did what he did. But unfortunately, some of us know that this plan, it looked like it got ruined. If we kept reading in Genesis we would reach the fall, the fall of man, where Adam and Eve, they sinned. Where they walked into God's creation, they saw the structure, they had the material, they had the meaning, and yet they said, mm, nah, I'll do my own thing. I'm going to eat this fruit. I'm going to do this stuff. I'm going to live in this way, choose this path, because I think I should be in control. And as soon as that sin, as soon as that deviation entered into the world, we were shattered. We died. Our relationship with God was ripped apart. As soon as that sin entered the world, it looked like we would be doomed. But the good news was that God was not surprised by that. That this was always a part of God's vision for existence. Instead, God said, you know what? I'm going to fix this. One day I'm going to send your seed. I'm going to send your son from you and me. He's going to fix this. He says, but in the meantime, you have to work hard. Having kids is going to be rough. Snakes, they have to slither on the ground now. 
kind of random, but it's happening, right? Like he had these different curses that just, boom, fell upon the earth. And part of those curses was that, yes, our relationship with God was mixed up, but it wasn't all gone. When I say that, I mean that as, even as we look out into our world that is broken, that is certainly filled with evil and destruction, when we look out into that world, we still see this urge to create, right? To cultivate. We see this in everyone, in all people, We see it immediately in the Bible. Even if we kept reading in Genesis, we would see by chapter four, people are making tools. They're inventing bronze, right? They're creating musical instruments, all just within Genesis. We see chapter nine, they've created wine, right? Because what's the point of having musical instruments? Can't get your drink on, right? Like that's, I'm assuming the mindset. But we see all these different, these pieces, these goods, this material that people are continuing to create and bring up and invent. And it's amazing. And it's because we still have this drive. Even today, you have that drive, right? You have this drive to create, right? Why do we create? Because we're made in God's image. But what do we create? We create the exact same things that God, in fact, created. We create materials and we create meaning just like our creator. We're constantly creating these materials, whether it's those biblical examples of tools and and musical instruments. But maybe today, a lot of times what we create, the, the things that we're using, we use language regularly, right? I'm using it right now, in case you hadn't noticed. We use tools, writing instruments or driving things or whatever. We use, we use these tools. You're all in a college, We've created the material of of college, of university, of higher learning. We've created technology that's amazing. Screens or phones, computers. We've created this material because we're driven to create. We don't know why, but we just, we want to create. And what's interesting is that most of the time, these things that we create, this material that we're developing, many times it is in fact designed to cultivate. A lot of times we're trying to fulfill both at the same time. We create things in order to kind of bring order and structure to our world. That's why we create language and we create new words, right? Language is designed to help us harness speech, right? We've created tools so that we can work, so we can bring order to this world through our work. We've created colleges so that we can learn and understand our world to bring order. We've created technology so that we can have those pictures of our food with cool filters on it, right? Like that's... Finally, finally, that order exists, right? That's, that's why it's there. Yes, purpose fulfilled, right? That's, that's why we have these things is because we want to somehow cultivate. We want to create these materials that would then bring meaning to the world around us. And as we cultivate, what's interesting is that just like God, as we cultivate and create, we in fact create structure. We in fact put in systems that allow for future creation. It's amazing that unconsciously we're doing these things. When we create language, right, we've set it up to where people can invent new words. And it happens all the time. Recently, the Oxford English Dictionary added a few just lovely nuggets of speech. I don't know if you heard about this, but official words now entered into the Oxford Dictionary include selfie. Yes. (laughs) Thank goodness. One of my favorites, derp. Derp is now a word, officially. It should not pop up on your spell check. In fact, it is, our language is so amazing. We're able to create in so many incredible ways that there is now an official listing in the dictionary 
for twerk. For twerk. I know. It's a fallen world, right? With, but it's there. It exists. And we create tools that those tools might help us continue creating, right? Our tools, they've led to so many amazing things. They led to engines, right? And those engines, they lead to cars, and those cars lead to planes, and those planes lead to space flights. That's incredible, right? We've created these systems where our tools continue to create. We've created these colleges that lead to law school and med school and whatever, all these other schools, physical therapy school. We have all of these different realms of education, of expertise that's available now where you go to these colleges, you go to these universities, but they lead to a higher education, which leads to advancements in law or in medicine. It's incredible the structure that we've created so that our creations could continue to create. We've created this technology that has led to amazing things, including one of my favorites, the App Store. I think that the App Store is in fact one of our greatest creations because it just allows tons and tons of future creation. One awesome app that recently popped up is called your Marriage Proposal Pal, okay? (laughs) The Marriage Proposal Pal, in case you hadn't heard, is this app that you put on your phone where if you're deciding, you know what, I want to get engaged, but I don't know how, it answers that question for you. And you tell it what country you live in. You tell them, it's, if it's hard to read, it tells you like, kind of like, where do you want to propose? You kind of put in some other kind of qualifications, like do you want to be public or private, indoor, outdoor? Your, per, your partner's personality is something, right? What's your budget, right? And you put in all of these different pieces. You answer these questions, and then the app pops out. Well, this is how you should propose, right? And let me just warn you, never do this. <laughs> Ever, please, if you don't hear anything else today, here, never use this. What I love is that it's actually designed by this company. It's copyrighted by Romance Never Dies. But let me just promise you, this is where romance dies. This is, in fact, the moment. This is, in fact, this is the point where all of our world has fallen. This is worse than the twerk thing, right? This is far worse but the truth is, is that there was someone who thought, you know what? I want to create this app because by golly, it's hard to propose, right? So I want to create this app that will help other people and it will help them create new ways to propose. And they've created this creation that will continue creating maybe till the end of time, which is terrifying, but it exists, right? It's out there because this is what we do. We create creations that continue to create. We have this language that is built up that has led to new ways to attack one another and tear each other down in ways that we never thought possible. Except now we can just call them that word. We can use that term. We have these tools that have led to weapons, which have led to bigger weapons and worse weapons, to chemical weapons that are then maybe going to cause a war that we're about to enter into over in Syria. Our creation created war. We look at our technology, we look at our colleges, and they've led to all of this anxiety and stress and debt. And we see people going into higher learning who drop out or just freak out or have breakdowns because they can't handle the pressure. That's what our creation created. We have this technology that is so great that has led to advancements in video and internet and all these streaming abilities. And that has in turn led to an increase in online pornography. Where it's a huge multi-billion dollar business that has then 
in turn led to an increase in sexual trafficking across the entire world, including America. That's what our creation created. Because as we create, we bring pain and destruction. We continually find new, fresh ways to destroy the world around us. This is what we do. Because this is the product of our sin. This is the world that we live in. So if we see this fact, if we are creating and cultivating terrible, dark things, it leads people, it drives people, it makes them passionate to create meaning. The world at large is driven to answer questions. They have to find meaning in our world. They want answers because as soon as our sin entered our world, it wasn't just our relationship with God. It wasn't just the the material of the garden. It was the meaning within the garden that we lost. And people have been scrambling to find it ever since. And they're looking and they're asking these unavoidable questions. They're saying, who am I? Where did I come from? Why does this exist? Why is there evil? Why is there pain? Why are these things out there? What is true? And our world is reeling and broken and shattered as they're realizing that no matter how much material they create, it's going to be bad. And they just can't seem to find the meaning. When I was at A&M, I minored in philosophy. Um, Because of that, I got to take a bunch of really fun classes uh, where I was in philosophy of religion and just people and all all this cool stuff. And in those classes, let me just tell you, uh, there are so many people that are spending incredible amounts of time answering questions that you've never even thought of. It's crazy. But those philosophical ideas, they always start up high, kind of in those ivory towers, but they always trickle down. It's really interesting. As you look through kind of historical philosophy, you see where they have this idea, and about a generation later, about 40 years later, it becomes common knowledge and practice. And it all starts with those philosophers. And what's interesting is that a lot of times these philosophers, they've come up with some of the absolute worst ideas I've ever heard of in my entire life. It was crazy. Uh, one of my favorites was solipsism. And solipsism basically is a, is a way of viewing the world. It's a philosophy where you decide that, well... You start kind of with a Descartes, who says, I think, therefore I am. You're saying, that's what I'm sure of, is my own kind of mental existence. And so solipsism says, all right, so you start there, and that's it. You end there. And in fact, the only thing that you can be certain of is that you, in fact, exist. And so everyone else, they're just part of your mind. They're just in your brain. So just to give you a heads up, none of you exist. It's just me. Sorry, right? Like, that's... That's basically what solipsism says. And so people look at that and they're like, yeah, okay. Right? That's not like a widespread thought. But there are people who have decided, you know what, solipsism, that's for me. Right? And their brother would be teasing them and poking them in the head and be like, oh, yeah, well, you're just in my brain. So, bloop. Right? Like that's, 
That's how people deal with the world because people have to find some way to give meaning to the world. They have to find some way to answer the questions that are unavoidable. And as people are asking themselves, who am I? Like, what is my purpose? Why is there evil? What is true? People are constantly coming up with answers. They're saying, well, I'm a byproduct of evolution, uh, of millions of years of just kind of reaction and reaction. That's who I am. I'm just a collection of cells. Why am I here? Well, Well, I'm just here for my enjoyment. Right, to maximize my pleasure, my preferences. I want to feed myself in that way. Why is there evil? Well, I, I honestly don't even think there is evil. I think that the world is governed by preference, by taste. And so evil is just a taste that doesn't align with mine. So it's not really evil or good. What is true? Well, I don't really think truth exists. I don't think that there can be anything that is absolute, hard and fast, no matter what the time, place, or circumstance that's crazy. So there is no truth. It's all relative. As we look into our world, we see these answers. We see this meaning that our world is creating, and it's always broken. It's wrong. But the truth is that as we're creating meaning and material, or in other words, as we're creating material and giving it meaning, as we're creating and cultivating What that is, another way to kind of frame that in your mind is to say, basically, we're all actively creating culture. That's what culture is. You might remember a couple weeks ago, we touched on kind of what is culture. And we talked about, well, it's not just a viewpoint, right? It's not just the way that you look at the world. It's the way you live in the world. We kind of touched on this idea that culture is is actually action, Right? It's a tangible thing you can grasp. That's why uh, there's this guy named Andy Crouch. He's a brilliant author, and he wrote this book called Culture Making. And he talks about what culture is. He says, culture is what we make of the world. He says, culture is, first of all, the name for our relentless, restless human effort to take the world as it's given to us and make something else. We make sense of the world by making something of the world. Meaning and making go together. Culture, you could say, is the activity of making meaning. See, I love, I love this quote because it really sums up what we're doing. It really sums up, this is, this is what our world is occupied with. It's occupied with creating culture, of creating material and then giving it meaning. And so my kind of final question for you that I want you to really chew on this week is, what are you creating What are you creating? If we understand why we create, because we're made in God's image, if we understand what we create, meaning material and meaning culture, what are you creating? What did you create yesterday? What are you cultivating today? What culture are you developing? What structures are are you putting into place? As we look at our experience, what we realize is that our culture, man, it is getting so sick of Christians. Our nation at large is getting more and more frustrated, more and more just sick of the church, of Christianity. Because we're meeting those expectations of being judgmental, homophobic moralists. And the only way we can change that, the only way we change culture is to create culture, to replace it with something new and fresh and different from that expectation. 
Our only hope is to buy into that Duck Dynasty philosophy, to create a new culture that's new, fresh, that people bring and they come around us and they form a community and they say, yeah, this is, let's continue this. Like, let's continue to create and cultivate. So let me ask you, what materials are you creating? What language are you using? Are you building people up with your language? Are you glorifying the Lord with your language? Are you using tools that bring life? Whether you're helping build a house in, you know, South Texas, or maybe you're digging wells in Africa. Are are you using the tools that are available, the incredible tools that are all around us, these opportunities? Are you bringing life? Are you doing something new and fresh? Are you creating something different? You're at a college with so much opportunities. There's so many organizations like Impact, where they reach 1,600 freshmen this summer, telling them about God and Christ, plugging them into community, into fellowship. Are you creating within that realm? Are you creating maybe a new organization? Are you cultivating the ones that already exist? Are you using just simple classroom interactions at college to glorify God, to build people up? Are you using the technology that's around you to glorify God? What are you writing online? What are you sending people on your phone? What are you reading on that screen? What are you creating? This is why grace, in fact, we were looking at ourselves and we were thinking, okay, what are we, what are we creating? Like, how are we entering into these realms? And we realized, well, if we have all of this technology, so how are we going to create within that? And that's why we just, we were like, okay, well, let's go ahead and be like some of these other churches and create an app. If we have all these resources, these sermons and these Bible studies and these small groups, let's go ahead and create an app that you can put on your phone or on your computer, something that really compiles all that stuff. We looked at that realm and we said, you know what, we need to create in that. We need to create that material. We also need to create meaning, right? What meaning are you creating? How would you answer those questions of who am I? What is my purpose? Why is there evil? What is true? Let me just give you a hint. You can actually answer all of that with the gospel. (laughs) Because I know that I am, in fact, a person created in the image of God. I know that I'm here to glorify him with everything that I say and do. I know that there is evil because I sinned, because humanity sinned. That's why there's brokenness. That's why there's evil. And I know that the only truth is the one who claimed to be the way and the truth and the life. I know that what is true is that Jesus Christ is the only way to conquer that evil, to re-enter into that fellowship with that God who created me, to fulfill that purpose. I realized I need to put my faith in Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross in order to be saved. Are you sharing that meaning? Are you giving that to people? Because let me just challenge you, when that happens, let me, let me promise you that when that happens, people are drawn to it. It's attractive. If you're creating something new and different and fresh, if you're glorifying God in that way, there's going to be a community that builds around you. And God can use that community in ways that you never would have imagined to continue to create and cultivate beyond maybe even your time in that community. It's amazing. Uh, In 1989, there's a guy named Greg Mott started a Bible study in his apartment, 12 friends. They grew and grew and grew and they had to meet in different locations. They were going to other apartments, to the houses. They're going to a middle school. They're going to a little conference center. 
And over, the span, over that kind of time, they started calling themselves Breakaway because the idea was you're going to break away from campus, go be at this Bible study. But as they grew bigger and bigger and bigger, they started meeting at Central Baptist Church and they realized, wow, we are so huge. There's really no other place to go but campus. And so they shifted their philosophy and said, you know what? We're going to keep the name Breakaway, but we're going to stay on campus. We're going to be an on-campus ministry. We're going to meet and read. We have all these people coming together. We have thousands and thousands of students to the point now where if you've been there the last couple weeks, it's not Greg, right? It's Ben Stewart. And he's up there and he's talking to thousands, 10,000 plus students. Why? Because back in 1989, some guy named Greg and a couple of his friends said, let's create something. Let's create something new and fresh. 1999, there was this uh, girl named Christy Dressel. And she was talking with some of her friends. And they said, you know what? We wish there was some sort of orientation for, for believers, for new freshmen that are coming to A&M. So they talked about it and they prayed about it. They had prayer meetings. They were talking to different churches. And they eventually lined up that summer in 99, a thing called Impact. This camp where all these students, these incoming freshmen could meet up. They had 150 students that first year. 14 years later, 1,600 students showing up? Kidding me? All because Christy and her friends thought, let's create. Let's make something new. Let's create a material and let's give it meaning. Let's have something fresh. Let's have something that defies the expectations of the world around us. Let's change this culture. I don't know if this is your first week here, your third week new semester, if it's your hundredth week to be at Grace. But let me just remind you, this is what we're all about. This is what we want. We want to create. We want to cultivate. We want something new. We want to make a new culture that defies the expectations of the world around us. This is why we exist. This is why we have small groups that we try to push you into so you can go into that community and you can create and cultivate with those people. That's why we have things like next week, we have a parent's lunch. We want you guys to stick around after the morning service. Grab your parents, stay here for lunch so that we can talk to your parents about how they can join us to create and cultivate, to change the culture around us. Because we have full faith that God is going to use this community that we build to do something great, to continue creating long after we're gone. This is why we're here. So again, what are you creating? As we sing a few more songs, pray and ask God, what are you creating? Let's pray. Lord, We thank you that you are the creator. God, we thank you that you've given us a structure in which we have freedom to continue creating. God, we thank you that you have put us in this place with so many opportunities to glorify you. So Lord, let us seize upon those opportunities, upon those moments, upon those relationships. God, guide us. Show us where do we create, what should we be creating? If you would take this moment, ask him, where are you going? Ask him, what is that culture that needs to be changed 
Is it your classroom? Is it your family? Is it your house with your roommates? Ask him, where is a material that, need, that is lacking? Where is a meaning that is unassigned? Just pray to God right now. Ask him, this week, what can you create to glorify him? Let's pray one more time. God, we thank you for that love that you've poured out so generously. God, we thank you for the love that you made evident when you sent your son to die for our sins. God, we thank you for the fact that you love us even when we hate you, even when we fight against you, God, even when we rebel. God, we thank you for that overpowering, overwhelming love. God, we just pray that those of us that have experienced that love, that have put our faith in the Son that you sent in love, God, we just pray that we would take that and spread it, that, God, we would take advantage of the fact that we are loved and that we are redeemed, that we are new creations. God, we, take, we, we pray that we would just take that and, and run with it, that we would love others, that, God, we would create a new culture based firmly in your glory and in your love. So, God, be with us this week. God, bless our endeavors. Pray this all according to your will. Amen. All right, nothing big. If you haven't signed up for a small group, you should. Other than that, We'll see you guys later.